Hi, and welcome to the Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast. I'm Addie Holzman. And I'm Haley Kava. We're friends, pelvic floor physical therapists, moms, and occasional hot messes who are here for real, uncensored conversations about all things pelvic health. And because our conversations are uncensored, they're likely not appropriate for little ears. Please remember our disclaimer. Although we both are licensed physical therapists, we are not your physical therapist. Yeah, anyways. And our content is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own healthcare team for individualized advice, diagnoses, and treatment. February, the shortest month of the year, which should not correlate to sexy time. Isn't that kind of weird? Like the shortest month of the year is like the sexiest month of the year. Yeah. Why is February short? I don't know. <laughs> and then every once in a while, it decides to skip a day and add a day. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Very irregular. <laughs> the last time it was a leap year was 2020. Oh, man. Because uh, Bobby's brother got married on the leap year day in February when we were in Hawaii. That's awesome. And then we came back to the world. <laughs> <laughs> the world ending. I feel yeah. like that was just yesterday. Like, I feel like we were just there and it's been like a complete time warp since then. It really has. So, yeah, we are just recovered now from COVID. We had COVID. Oh, man. It really wasn't too bad. Bobby was worse off than I was. But the worst part was really that we had the kids home quarantining and they were fine. So mm-hmm. like, so Bobby and I were maybe not like I had like probably two days where I was like, I could just sleep all day, but I can't just sleep all day because I have these small children. And so that, and it was freezing outside. So it's not like I could just be like, go play in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to lay down for a little bit. Not that I do that here anyway, because whatever, but like, so that was a little rough. We made it. Well, I'm glad it wasn't worse. Yeah. Uh, Elsie decided she wanted her ears pierced. Oh, I and saw so- that. Did you know that the American Piercing Association advises against using piercing guns? I think I knew that that was like not a recommendation. Like, yeah. That's, that's crazy that their like own like governing body is like, no, don't don't use piercing guns. Um, because what is the argument? You, like, you can't autoclave them. Mm, People's ew. like tissues can get stuck in it and it can't ever be fully clean. Yeah. And it causes more trauma to the tissues. So the healing is can be longer and it can get infected more easily. And so, I, they, I didn't realize they used the same gun over and over again. Ew. I knew it was yuck, but I didn't realize. I thought they were just like single use little kachow things. Yeah. Well, and super convenient if you have two piercers and you can do it at the same time for like little kids that are like would get a little afraid of doing that again twice right so I told Elsie I was like well if you're gonna get your ears pierced because her friend got her ears pierced at Claire's last week Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. she finally decided she wanted to do it I'm like all right well we're gonna go to tattoo parlor and it's gonna be a needle and you know she had all these questions but um it she did so well okay so (laughs) this this was a very weird experience just because it feels weird to bring a six-year-old into a tattoo parlor (laughs) The windows are all blacked out and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, do I continue <laughs> or do I turn around? It was fine. Anyway, that happened and she she did great. It stuck the needle 
you know, and then the hollow tube is still in your ear and then they have to put the earring in. And she just sat there like a statue, like not a peep, even for the second one. Yeah, it was pretty it was pretty awesome. So that was our excitement. That's a big milestone. Yeah. Circling back to February and the love month. I think August I saw that there was a new study that concluded that squirting is indeed urine. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about this on the podcast. No, have we? I don't know. Did we? It was like in August. Yeah. So we may have. Yeah, I think we did talk about this uh, and that it's like, yeah, it's m- mostly urine. Mm-hmm. So would you classify that as incontinence or like sexual incontinence? What is like, like coital incontinence? Yeah. Because you're not, but some people like doing it, you know? I don't know. I was thinking about that. Ash and I were talking about it. I don't know how that works because it's never happened for me. So yeah, no, I don't know either. I think if you are happy with it, it's kind this is how I feel about that. It's like on a, if on a PR of lifting, you leak a little bit of pee, but you're super excited that you got that, that PR and there happens to be a little pee on the ground and it's not happening like all the time. It's not happening when you don't want it to happen or you don't expect it to happen, then great. If you feel like you are get more pleasure from that, that's something that you and your partner both enjoy, that you are, it's the ultimate in satisfaction for you, then cool. I agree. Right? Like, it's one thing if you squirt with orgasm and then don't leak any other time. But if this is, yeah, if it's a trend of like, oh, I leak when I cough, I leak when I sneeze, I leak during orgasm, like, then we go, hmm, okay maybe this is something that we need to address. I don't know. Would addressing the underlying pelvic floor issue also stop the squirting? So I'm taking a sex course, like a Uh PT, um, dyspareunia, painful sex course. And she talks about having a client that had pelvic floor surgery for incontinence. Well, it stopped her squirting, which she was really upset about. Because she, that was something that like was a big deal for her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I th- I think that is a consideration. Mm-hmm. I've had clients though that leak with sex. It's not like squirting, but they have incontinence that they didn't want. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, I think, yeah, it's all about how is it happening? How often? And if it's inconvenient for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I think there is a study where they like videotaped it like the actual squirting is that the one that just came out yeah yeah that was the, like where they were that's where they determined that they con- thought that most of it was was urine yeah and i feel like yeah I'm, like <laughs> i don't know how awkward that would be but like watching <laughs> yeah and being like yeah what what is happening is that person holding their breath are they bearing down? Are they, you know, how are we using tension to generate enough sensate, like clitoral stimulation in order to orgasm? Or is this truly because of the rhythmic contractions of the the pelvic floor? And so um, I think sometimes looking at like how an orgasm happens, how patterned are we with how we create an orgasm and are, can we change that? 
Um, and that may take time and that may take practice and that may take work with a sex therapist to look at different strategies for pleasure and achieving orgasm. But I don't think that that's unreasonable. And so like, would that, may that come with less squirting? May that come with more squirting? I don't know. Uh, and are any of those things wrong? I don't think so. Because like, my question is like, for the person who had pelvic floor surgery, you know, maybe they're, you know, there's more pelvic floor efficiency. Maybe they're getting less, there's less anterior pressure if they had that anterior support increased, but maybe they're now living in a, a like an overactive state. And so can we find this happy medium where, where we can both let go and contract like when it's desired? And, and so I would, if that was my patient and they were really distressed about that, I would say, well, let's just give it a little time and see what, what happens. Do people usually bear down during orgasm? I'm like thinking, and I don't, I don't think I do So, I have my crochet vulva. Ooh, very nice. That's awesome. I just got in the mail. So some people will, will pressurize their system, like hold their breath and create internal pressure. Cause I think that internal pressure does increase like pressure of the clitoris on the pelvic floor. And then that internal pressure back, which I think would increase some stimulation. Yeah. I've, I have, I've, I've heard of clients doing that. I've heard of a lot of clients who like clench their inner thighs and clench their glutes. Cause I think sort of same I do that. Thing. it like presses yeah. their, pushes like there's internal pressure increasing and like clitoral pressure increasing with all of that but do people do it consciously or just reactively I think well I think a lot of I'm not a sex therapist but I think a lot of (laughs) habits develop right yeah yeah for sure so you had success achieving climax a certain way you're going to keep doing that and you're going right. to keep using that strategy because it got you what you wanted. Mm-hmm. But I think the experience with that can change when you change the like the sensory inputs and you mm-hmm. and you change the like pressure system. And so it just may take some more practice though, or it may take some more effort, which we don't always time, which we may not always have or want to have. Yeah. Like, you know, I think um, the most distressing thing for people postpartum is when they can't orgasm a way that they used to always orgasm. Right. So, you know, you could always orgasm in being on top and now you're postpartum and things are distributed maybe slightly differently. And now you can't orgasm there anymore. And like, that's annoying, mm-hmm. right. To like have your go-to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like I explained to people postpartum for other things, it's like an opportunity, right? This is an opportunity to experiment with other different types of pleasure. It's an opportunity to experiment with different positions. Hence why we have a positional, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's an opportunity to try different breathing strategies, to try different, um, ways of communicating with your partner. And so not always seeing, you know, seeing that as a negative necessarily. I feel like that postpartum, like getting back into sex is such a mind fuck because not only are your tissues different, 
And like, I felt like it was harder to get an orgasm because things just didn't feel the same, you know, like your pelvic floor has been stretched out. Your positioning might be off. There might be, you know, you're stressed. You're adapting to a new baby. You're not sleeping, you know, all of these things. And then (laughs) orgasms are different. It's like, what the hell? (laughs) Right. um, And this class talked about like postpartum, like nine out of 10 women, their first attempt back to sex is painful. And after 18 months, 25% of those people still are Mm -hmm. having painful sex. And it's just not fair. (laughs) It's not fair. Yeah. It's, well, it's an epidemic of painful postpartum sex. So why are we not, why are we not talking about this yeah and why is this not a major concern well because duh you just have to have a glass of wine and that is all you need so oh so i've decided i think i'm gonna like not drink for six months at least okay but (laughs) (laughs) why why have you because i don't feel good like when i Mm -hmm. like so wine specifically like the other day um bobby bought a bottle of wine and i had like a glass before Mm -hmm. bed and woke up and i just was like just one Mm -hmm. like i felt like my skin was all red and like i felt like i I hadn't really drank at all since maybe new year i had maybe a drink on new year's Mm -hmm. and i was like i just feel puffy i feel sluggish i feel awful what is this adding to my life and so the fact that like again that that is a medical like that is that is still it's 2023 and this is still a fucking thing that doctors recommend so i think providers recommend it just it is like let's report these people report them because that is negligent i think i may have found where it stems from because i was googling because i'm like where the fuck did this come from? Like who, what medical doctor is suggesting alcohol as a means to numb yourself so that you a can have sex? Of them. So there was, a st- there was a study, I think it was in Italy. I need to look it up because I wrote a paper about dyspareunia or painful sex and um, came across it. And it, but this, the study was not, it was all healthy healthy women that um that i think 20s 30s that were not having painful sex but they took a questionnaire basically asking if your sexual pleasure or experience improved after like a glass or two of wine and this questionnaire they reported that they had better sex or something which i still whatever i'll have to find it but i'm like so did they take this study that did not include people with painful sex right and then just like like it's but also like i know i know i know yeah it's messed up like you know what meth meth really <laughs> helps people feel no pain and be relaxed uh, how about you try some meth like it's a it is it's addictive yeah it, this is an addictive substance um and so can we like if we're going to prescribe that we should probably prescribe it with caution and also provide your the client you're prescribing that to with education about the risks i'm not yeah. anti drinking no i, I was am. just i love a glass of wine mm-hmm. sure i'd love to have a glass of wine 
and I have no judgment for people who 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 drink alcohol. I mean, can sex be really fun when you're drunk? Yeah. Yeah, I can. Like I've had I mean, Ash and I have had a lot of fun, but should that be our go-to because of pain? Probably not. Right. Or that you're using it to numb yourself? Yeah. Like that kind of defeats the purpose like, of having sex, right? So that you just can lay there and take it. Now, and, I like, essentially right. I realize that their line of thinking is probably it relaxes you, which if you're having pain because of tight muscles, it could relax the muscles. But again, we go back to the fact that it's alcohol. Right. The other thing that I've seen prescribed for painful sex is topical lidocaine, which I think, you know, it's it's a numbing gel, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like, we're just gonna, that's, is that also a solution is we're just gonna like numb this well maybe it's kind of like a brace you know like you need something if it's like a a skin issue or maybe superficial superficial pain (laughs) (laughs) you know like if it's like superficial dyspareunia or like skin irritation or you know something like that where like if they can get past the insertion right and it's pleasurable once they're penetrated you know maybe that would be kind of a step in the right direction of okay like we want you to still have sex because that's really important for your relationship and you know your health and whatever so maybe it's a step in the right direction but not a fix you know, obviously mm-hmm. you need to still figure out what is happening and why it's painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see that. Right. That that you've at least now had a neutral experience, like a non-painful experience. So we can start to re, re, rewire the system a little bit. Or you could just refer that to, or, to both yeah. a sexual medicine expert, like a vaginal health expert and a public floor therapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, all we do is kegels. All we do is kegels, so that wouldn't help painful sex, (laughs) right? Right. right. (laughs) Uh, I hate that that assumption too. Yeah, we need to catch up with the times as far as like people understanding, especially other medical providers, what physical therapy, pelvic floor therapy can offer, and these people would be so much better served with a team instead of a glass of wine. Well, and I think the key being with any sort of pain is that the sooner we address it, the less likely that that's going to develop into a chronic sensitized situation. So if at someone's like, if the issue being we clear people for intercourse at six weeks and then we never see them again, provider, like a birth provider. Mm -hmm. So now that person, you know, waits to eight weeks, decides to try to have sex with their partner. It's very painful. And now you don't have a relationship anymore with that. I mean, you still, you may with your like midwife or your OB. So you have to make like a new like it's like a new console. It's like a whole new thing. Um, I feel like in the throes of that time, it can feel like a low priority to have like to manage your sexual pain. And right. so now we have someone that's reaching out to that that for that care when they're like, you know, two years postpartum. They're maybe they want to have another baby, but <laughs> they're just struggling to have sex because it's so painful. 
Um, and then that's Im- impacting their fertility because they're not going to be able to get pregnant if they don't have sex. And so, so now, but also now they have two years of pain experiences, which, which solidifies have, in your brain. Yeah. Like your brain and so that. now the process of undoing that is also more challenging and difficult and uh, yeah, it just grinds my gears. There was in this class I'm taking, dyspernia is just the umbrella term, right? For those of you that haven't heard that word before, it's just an umbrella term for painful sex, but there's more specific, you know, diagnosis. right? I always say, feel like I'm saying it wrong. Dys- Dys- dyspernia. I say dyspernia, but I think dyspernia? it's... Dyspernia? I think it's dyspernia. Perunia? Perunia? Just keep saying it. Perunia. Dyspernia. I don't know. I say perinia. Dyspareunia. Is would it say a tomato dis- tomato? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So yeah, dyspareunia is painful sex. So vaginismus when is, is when it's like a no and the muscles in the like vaginal canal and pelvic floor block entry. Mm-hmm. So vaginismus is nobody's entering here. Right. Tampon, speculum, yeah. like any penetration. And, and then like, there's vulvodynia which is paid anywhere in the vulva mm-hmm. and vestibulodynia which is just the opening of the vestibule of the vaginal canal and then you have all the skin disorders like like in sclerosis mm-hmm. and like um, there's then there's like clitorodynia mm-hmm. and then there you know yeah you could have pain anywhere like in the labia so with like deep thrusting pain or deep dyspernia mm-hmm. the iliococcygeus and the obturator internus are likely involved that was a fun fact i was like oh that's helpful and then with clito clitorodynia would you just say clitorodynia yeah, and vaginismus the bulbosponginosis and ischiocavernosis right the more superficial more muscles so they were, and she was talking about different types of orgasms, which I think we've talked about before in here. But apparently, like the uterus, some people claim that they get like a uterus orgasm, a deeper, like more intense orgasm. And then you have more direct pressure on the, the clitoris, like external mm-hmm. um, stimulation. And then the like the penetration or G spot, even though the G spot is still a big debate but there's fascia between the like the anterior wall of the vagina like in the front that is really important for pleasure yeah so it's all like it's sex is complicated i mean there's a lot of thing a lot of systems at work a lot of anatomical parts playing together it's a it's definitely a mind body game like the mind right. has it's a not lot so, of influence. Yeah, it's not so simple as like, oh, we get all this tissue moving freely. Now you're good to go. Mm-hmm. It's not as straightforward as, oh, just get your mind right and then we're good to go. Um, it's a combination of those two, combination of those two things. And it's okay to explore the other if one isn't getting you what you want, or to explore both of those at the same, at the same time. Yeah. And so my kind of assumption or suspicion is that with women who orgasm with thrusting and 
claim more of a g-spot orgasm wouldn't mm-hmm. that just be the legs and the bulbs of the clitoris because yeah. the, the whatever's passing through penis or otherwise uh-huh. is like like contacting the biggest parts of the clitoris yeah and then everything is swelling right mm-hmm. so yeah. with the blood engorgement so i'm like yeah i feel like it's still clitoris stimulation even though it's right. internal this structure is what yeah it causes the orgasm yeah Whether but i feel like some people think it's like if they go deep it's it's like the act of penetration or the g-spot and not as direct on the clitoris but it's still but i think it's still... like is the g-spot just like this like right. in like or contacting it more like or behind? is it that fascia like right behind there the pubic bone i mean there can be other like other sensitive tissues just like nipples or like other erogenous zones yes yes yes, yes. aren't and you so- just like reaching in and getting the backside of the clitoris yeah that's what i'd say so that would be what you would suspect is like the quote-unquote g-spot that makes right. more that's, sense yeah because they've never they've done like autopsy or um biopsies and and stuff and they're they can't find any difference in tissue or a specific spot that they would yeah i think it's just you're just getting pressure on the clitoris in a different way was this a man that came up with the g-spot i bet it was (laughs) who invented the (laughs) g-spot i gotta google that what does g stand for i think it's his last name oh really i Um... think so uh, I think so. Who named the clitoris? Who invented? I'll tell you who invented. Our creator invented it, but <laughs> like, who named the G spot? Yes, Ernst Ernst Greffenberg. Son of a bitch. Why are all of these like males? Because naming? women couldn't <laughs> even have their own bank accounts until the like the seventies. Oh my gosh, nineteen fifty three. Are you kidding me? That is not that long ago. German doctor first per- described the spot, so s- supposedly an inch or two inside the vagina on the anterior wall in 1953. Then in 1982, a book called The G-Spot and Other Discoveries About Human Sexuality popular popularized his findings. <sighs> so I have heard uh, of people deriving pleasure from like urethral stimulation and that's like they so their urethra is right there like i feel like it's and then okay yeah your urethra guess where your oops my urethra fell up but like look where the urethra is like surrounded by all the same nerves yeah and like so are you just getting the urethra probably not you're probably getting like the bulbs all the you know the nerves and parts of the clit mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think it's all clitoral. It's got to be. And um, also, have they updated how many nerves the clitoris has? Because it's not. 8, yeah, 000. there was a new. There was a new one. It's it's more than eight thousand. I like ten to thirteen thousand pop into my. Yeah, I think mind. it's closer to. Yeah, it's. I think up to upwards of fourteen thousand. Do you want to know how many nerves are in the prostate? Zero. Sure. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> Um, here's a PubMed nerve endings in the human prostate. 
Hmm. Did they not find any? <laughs> I don't see any any answer to that. I'm not buying your article, so I don't see any. People are still quoting the 8,000, though, which is annoying. You can vibe check. What is like the, you know, Gen Z thing? Oh, question. What are our kids? Are they going to be Gen Z? Your, your kids are older, so they may be Gen Z or still. Is Gen X above us? Yeah, it's older. X, Y, and then it's... we're, and then Z. Because we're Y. We're Y? I thought I'm a millennial. Yeah, millennial is Gen Y, Y2K. Oh, aren't your kids, wouldn't they be in our, because it's like a span of like, what, 15 years or something? Okay, let's go. This this is important. <laughs> I, yeah, I, um, I got my hair cut and she's like, where do you part your hair? And I was like, I have a notch right here and I do a side part. I'm always going to do a side part. <laughs> I'm like, I know it's not cool anymore. But I'm gonna do a side part. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, let's see. So Generation Alpha from 2010 oh, right. to 2024. So our kids will be all of them. Generation Alpha. 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 I think they um it's, we went through the alphabet, right? Gen Z now at Alpha. I think that has to do with they're the first generation that are raised on electronics. Like from, like, from the get go, yeah, twenty ten. Because we like got them like high school, like we got a computer when I was in eighth grade, and then mm-hmm. like a phone, you know. So like it kind, but then what Gen Z, they probably like tablets started becoming a thing, um, but now the, it's so integrated in schools and like kids are getting phones younger and younger and tablets and so I think that the people that the church people that I was mortified that they're listening to the podcast um they he has a podcast and he interviewed uh like a generational or a a gen z like expert she's like 24 Mm -hmm. and she's like rich as fuck and because all she does is like educate people companies on like if you want these people to work for you this is what they want this is how you have to talk to them this is what you have to offer them all this stuff i need to listen to it because it sounds amazing and like very enlightening as to the culture change that has come with gen z they're really proactive right voting they're back into voting they're like seeking information like on social media for like their health care seeking out solutions mm-hmm so go them not to jump around but my adhd feels like it's <laughs> on fleek right now so i've decided that dr she's a gaslighter she is the worst kind of obgyn she's because toxic. she acts like she knows fucking everything and she shits and on she everything. is smart as shit like don't get me wrong but she shits on everybody she one she shits on everyone and then two I, like what makes me really uncomfortable and like what's triggering to me when I like watch her stuff is that like what you would would you say that to me to my face if I were in your <laughs> office as a patient? I hope not. Because <laughs> At least not in that tone. Because so she she just posted on I don't know if it's on Instagram too, but it was on TikTok of like 
calling out this brand sure they make supplements whatever so call that out but the tiktok was like oh Mm -hmm. don't wear underwear to bed yeah i saw that one and she's like the vulva doesn't have lungs okay but what if your patient who's struggling comes to you and says i do better when i don't wear underwear to bed are you gonna gaslight her and say your vulva doesn't have lungs wear underwear if you want or like or someone who's got very serious bv like Actually, maybe maybe that person has found that the fibers that they wear close to their vulva do matter. So can yeah. we validate that person's experience? I mean, yeah. isn't it a thing that like silk underwear and like synthetic is not as good as cotton? Yeah, and I think she would agree with that. I don't think she would disagree with that. But like, yeah, can we stop with like just gaslighting something that like really might help people? And then, like, I commented on one of her things about this TENS unit that's specifically designed for endometriosis. And so it's, it's, it sells for, like, $140. So it's expensive. Just like, you could get one on Amazon for $20. I'm like, well, there's safety differences. Like, you can get a crappy TENS unit, but it, but it might be direct current. And that might build up charge in your body and actually cause, cause you to get a burn or an injury because of the quality of that device is very poor. So it might be more negligent to prescribe a random TENS unit on uh, from Amazon. And also this is a small woman owned business who's designing products specifically for people with pelvic pain. Mm-hmm. Is there a markup? Probably. Is it a small company? Yes. Do I would I feel better giving $140 to a female owned company that's working to educate women about their bodies? Absolutely. Versus fucking Amazon and Jeff Bezos. She calls everything predatory. Everything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter, like, if it's better material or, you know, whatever. Well, our healthcare system is predatory. Right. Charging, like, hundreds and hundreds of dollars for one hour of PT or thousands and thousands for, like, one surgery. That's predatory. Mm -hmm. So, like, shut the fuck up. Like, who are you talking to? Yeah, no, I'm just, what really just threw me was just how rude, like She's how so rude. rude. And and then how invalidating to someone who has like benefited from using better underwear or benefited from not wearing underwear, which for you to just scoff, like mm-hmm. the, it's the scoffing for me. I know. Ugh. She. I've never liked her. I've never liked her tone. and The tone, I just can't. Yeah, I should probably unfollow her. And I get it. I get that you're trying to educate. I get that there are putting products on your vulva is bad. Scents and fragrances are bad. So like I can get behind a lot of what you're with what you're saying, but how you say it just grates me the wrong way. And but she's like also someone who's like um, totally downplays. And I know the limitations, I recognize the limitations of like functional medicine and that they're not like medical doctors and like there is oh, like yeah. some things there, but that exists because our healthcare system is so shit for preventing and getting to the root of problems that like something had to happen to like help people figure it out. Right. 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 And it's a good resource for some people. <laughs> That's why I've been kind of burnt out of social media lately. It's just, it's so divisive. And it's just so, like, ugh, I don't know. Try try unfollowing 
you don't have to unfollow them, like unfriend them, just like unfollow. Like you can, mm, yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah. still, you know, or don't, don't show me this person's stuff mm-hmm. for a little while. And I, it has helped me like mentally so much. Oh yeah. That's, um, so <laughs> look at this one I got in the middle. <laughs> I got a faux fan, a not faux sponsored. Fan. I mean, it's, I got this thing for free, but it's, it's a white noise machine that you can put in your purse that's supposed to help you poop if you're scared about pooping in like a public place <laughs> or you're at like what the hell i feel like you would like benefit from this <laughs> me <laughs> i, I feel like don't you're... like toilet seats <laughs> <laughs> but you don't like to poop in public do you I, I don't but i usually don't get the urge to poop in public well if you did and you had this <laughs> like well here's the problem i don't have a purse so where right, would I put right it? there's that just wear it on your necklace <laughs> like in my but, back pocket but like uh, yeah so i i need to figure out maybe how to make some content with this but like <laughs> i don't i truly could care less if someone hears me shit yeah i mean i'm not super excited about the idea of people listening to me unless it's my husband who i torment with that <laughs> like <laughs> that's well, yeah like, like but like I know lot withholding because mm-hmm. you aren't don't feel comfortable or this you know it's quiet or whatever is is very bad for you. Like mm-hmm. don't if you feel the urge to go go. If I know that I can go really fast, and it's not about the sound as much as the smell in public that I'm afraid of. Oh, so maybe babies and poopery. This also came in the box. It's called the faux fanny. I love it. So it's keeping private time private. I love those gas stations and restaurants that have the bathrooms that are completely enclosed. You know, like the line of like six bathrooms, but it's like like floor to ceiling. It's like your own little room and you like nobody can hear you. Oh man, they're the best. Huge fan. Huge fan of that. (laughs) Um, But I also like poop in the morning usually. So I'm not my I feel like something that comes up a lot is like especially for parents is like everyone's ready everyone's ready to go you're about to get in the car and then you get the urge to go and that's I think when a lot of people like withhold because it's just like I gotta get these kids in the car Uh uh-huh and so the kids don't withhold the kids want to get out of the car and go right so I have made a conscious effort if I if that happens in the morning is that like we wait because I will feel terrible all day. Like my stomach will hurt or like I won't feel good if I don't go first first thing. So if I don't have to go in the morning, I don't go every morning first thing. But like if it's gonna happen, I don't I'm not doing that anymore. That's that's good. Mm-hmm. I Elsie is my worst one with having to go at the most inopportune times. Mm-hmm. And it's not like it's like I have to go now because she just waits until mm. she has second. to go. And I'm like, girl, we still have a potty in our car just in case. But yeah, that's interesting. A poo, a what? Poo fan? A faux fan. Like, oh, a, like a fake fan. It's like a little fake fan. Oh my gosh. I got, I've gotten like so much stuff in the mail lately. That's awesome. Influencer status oh my gosh I have to tell you something so funny so Cam came home from school the other day and he goes Eleanor said the f word and we were like 
well, what, what is it? I'm like, what is the F word? And he's like, fuck. Oh, <laughs> it was correct. And Bobby and I were like laughing. Like, our, both of us were like. <laughs> oh my like, gosh. Yep, Did Robert that- hear him? No, we were like, yeah, that's, that is the F word. Like, that's a really strong word. Um, hopefully, you know, we don't, we don't say that word. It's, it's really powerful. Um, but yeah, that's right. Like, that is the F word. <laughs> oh my God. So we were like, don't make a big deal out about it. Don't laugh. Like, don't, like, don't react. But it was so funny. Oh, and- and because he'll say like oh i know the t word and we're like what and he's like trunk and we're like (laughs) yeah that's that's a word that starts with t like that's not a bad word but when he actually like had a bad word we were like okay don't don't make a big deal it's just a word oh my gosh and it's always so funny coming out of little kids mouths like in like in just innocently like yeah they have no <laughs> conception like no understanding of what they're saying it's hilarious oh my gosh um i have one more fact for you okay people with vaginismus um have a greater c-section rate and greater labor induction i believe it and a greater vacuum um usage during labor I believe it. I think what would be really interesting to study is like, are their pelvic floor muscles actually shorter or tighter? Like, are their pelvic floor muscles actually truly short? Or is it outlet shape? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, what is their what is their adduction look like? What does their abduction look like? like looking at more metrics for the research. Cause I think like the PTs who will say like, Oh, we can get there with dilators because that's what the research says. Well, like no one's done research on someone with vaginismus and looking at the rest of the body, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. One day, maybe that'll be, maybe that'll be on our docket. Probably not. Cause I hate research, but <laughs> if you had it, I'll participate. <laughs> Right. I mean, there's so many research topics that I feel like we just yeah. need to. Which is why we like can't wait for the research because the research just recently in the last five years has said that pelvic floor manual techniques help dyspareunia, which is right. like crazy that it took that long. You know what I mean? Well, and like, so, and that's so, that's so PT dependent that's mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like not empowering the patient and so we know we can be more impactful when we empower movement and breathing in the nervous system and the pelvis and the thorax and so yeah if we if we the research says this one thing and we only do this one thing it's like that's not yeah it's that's not going to do anyone any favors I'm not going to address your whole body because the research says that I can just do 10 swipes of kitty massage on you and you're going to be fine. Let's ignore your humongous scoliosis and breathing disorder and sleep issues and all that. 
Oh, man. All right. I have a good rest of your day. Yeah, I'm like so tired. Um, so know your, know bush. your bush. Love your bush. Share, Share the, the bush you love. love. You can communicate with Addie and I both in regards to the podcast questions, comments, concerns, topics that you want discussed on our podcast Facebook page, Don't Beat Around the Bush Podcast, as well as our email account, which is Don't Beat Around the Bush Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So please subscribe, comment, and share all the bushy love. It's probably pretty obvious that our episodes are edited and produced by Addie and myself. (laughs) And our music is provided by Blockhead.